we want to shift from what was happened in the past couple of decades. We want to get out of that revolutionary approach of doing things. We want to get to an evolutionary approach and making sure we have consistent delivery. And so to me, it's very important to leverage the file business model. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group. A year into the job for the FCC Chief Information Officer and how the FCC is looking to move everything to as a service. It's Thursday, September 7th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Transportation Department's Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration is exploring using ChatGPT in its rulemaking process. According to a posting on the agency's public AI inventory, it is weighing an artificial intelligence support for rulemaking use case. The project, according to the posting, involves using ChatGPT to support rulemaking processes to provide significant efficiencies, reduction of effort, or the ability to scale efforts for unusual levels of public scrutiny or interest. The agency told FedScoop that right now, it has no official plans to implement such a technology and that it's just exploring the use case. But that's enough to raise questions from some civil liberties and tech experts on using AI to develop rules that, quote, concern potentially life-altering exposure to hazardous materials. And in other news, the General Services Administration announced on Tuesday that it has established a new program office dedicated to supporting the Biden administration's Open Government National Action Plan. GSA Administrator Robin Carnahan detailed the launch of the new Open Government Secretariat Program Management Office at the Open Government Partnership Global Summit in Estonia, where she represented the U.S. on the steering committee for the partnership. The new office comes with a $1 million annual investment and a permanent team to support the implementation of the fifth Open Government National Action Plan, which was issued last December. The plan's focus encompasses the public's accessibility to data, information, and research to promote an accountable and transparent government. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. Alan Hill has been on the job as the CIO of the Federal Communications Commission for roughly a year now, and during that time, he's made it a top priority to move as many systems and applications as possible within the agency's portfolio to as-a-service models. To discuss that, what he's learned and accomplished in this first year, and how he's thinking about cybersecurity as part of that journey, Hill joins me for a conversation. Alan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. Look forward to the discussion. Well, Alan, you're the CIO of the Federal Communications Commission, and you have been for about a year now and uh, really excited to kind of take some time today to to see where you've been on that journey now at the agency for about a year. And um, let's start off by asking, you know, during that time, what were some of your major milestones and what have you sort of taken away as the CIO? What have you learned? Uh, thank you, Billy, for that question. Uh, it has been uh, such a fun ride. Um, you know, I came from GSA. I was more on the business side of helping uh, agencies with contracts and now coming on the uh, FCC and being the CIO. 
being able to work in operations again has been uh, quite the ride. We're being very deliberate in our rationalizations. We have over 400 that different distinct steps that we take to look at the different applications that are in our data center and really look at saying, where's the best cloud service provider that should be used to modernize and bring as much possible those native capabilities that are provided in a FedRAMP environment. Uh, we look at it from a traditional perspective and when we rationalize, do we need to retire? Do we rehost it? You know, we refactor it uh, in even re-engineering those services. Uh, we've already moved quite a number, uh, several hundreds even this past month. Um, and we're going to continue to do that as we rationalize various applications. Uh, but as soon as we move that workload, our objectives is not just to move it. It's not just that lift and shift. It is to pivot completely and focus on how do we maximize native capabilities within that cloud service provider to kind of create that seamlessness. And it's thinking about long-term. One of the things is how do we bring modernization to where it's continuous? It's not something that, you know, the revolutionary approach of doing things to making it more an evolutionary approach and being uh, able to do that. Complete visibility is awesome. Uh, that's one of the things that we focus on, brought in some tools to get that visibility into what we currently have in these legacy systems and be able to understand holistically what those services is, you know, ports and protocols, how it communicates, where there's dependencies between systems and really getting those, being able to model that information and be able to look at it holistically, what we need to do, not just for today to move in it, but where we need to be in that future state. And it's not about that two, three years, we're looking five, 10 years down the line. Uh, and so it's not just modern application, it's everything is on the table. Even things that we've already moved to the cloud, there are things that we may have moved in the past that we're looking at revisiting and saying, how do we maximize the native capabilities so we can minimize those photon type effects. And we've made a lot of progress in that area. Well, it sounds like quite a lot of uh, work for just one year. So kudos on that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious as you're describing all of this sort of migration and movement uh, to the cloud and uh, assuming that's, you know, a very multi-cloud focused modernization journey, I, I, I want to know how you think about building an environment that brings sort of interoperability between all those different providers, because that can be one of the hardest parts that, uh, you know, in, in moving to that multi-cloud vision is is making sure that all those different services and, and clouds play friendly. Uh, that's a great point, great question. I, I, so, you know, one of the tendencies in my days of doing IT, we always thought of things very siloed, very segmented. You know, here's our security, here's our network, here's our end user uh, capabilities. We've had things in a very disparate way. Well, today's technology can't afford that. To maximize the full capabilities and that synergy between how it gets to that, uh, uh, that user that's using the service and how it communicates, we need to make sure that we're taking everything, all the technology today, and how it, uh, uh, cyber threats, what are some of the service dependencies, and, better, and build this enterprise from full stack visibility, seeing everything holistically. Uh, we shouldn't just rely on the cybersecurity tools either. There's new threats today, and those new threats come out, and there might not be that patch that's out there 
And so because of that full stack visibility, we can see operational indicators that can occur that might give us insight of a denial of service that we might not be aware of. Uh, if you think about some, you know, Log4j as an example, is, is a perfect example of something that was built in the code. So you got to get down to the code level, get every visibility that we can get to understand how the behaviors of the data is normal versus abnormal. And understanding that, it could be simply a network adapter and how it's active. There might get to be a higher retranslate. Well, why is that occurring to uh, where their code is acting unusual? That might give us an indicate because of these new threats that are on the horizon. And so we want to not just rely on the cybersecurity tools. We want to take the full stack of everything and really get that visibility of how the behavior of the network is normal and what is abnormal so that we may have, we are better able to be preventive vice and proactive vice reactive. Yeah, and I, I like the direction you're taking that and mentioning not relying on the cybersecurity tools that are sort of uh, built into those platforms. I'm curious, how are you thinking about, um, you know, as you you take on this, this very cloud heavy approach, how are you thinking about zero trust? Because that's, you know, a very uh, important part of it. And largely being driven by the administration right now? Uh, uh, great question. And in fact, if you take the zero trust and just look in of the different pillars that are within zero trust, user, device, the network, your infrastructure, the application, how the data, but more importantly, when you look at it from visibility and analytics and orchestration and automation, going those additional steps beyond that's how we get that kind of information that we need to make decisions before impact occurs, to prevent things from uh, going off the rails. Uh, and to me, it starts really, I'm a firm believer, you got to start with your network infrastructure and protecting it because that is how the data gets from place to place. And so down to the NIC card that's sitting on that device, all the way until it gets to that, where it resides, that data and the information and how it gets displayed. So we need full in, in this uh, uh, visibility and what we're looking at. Uh, and so um, we want to shift from what was happened in the past couple of decade, decades. We wanna get out of that revolutionary approach of doing things. We wanna to get to an evolutionary approach and making sure we have consistent delivery. And so to me, it's very important to leverage the file business model. Using that approach of, if you take, of as a service, anything as a service, when you take that and you look at that business model, you're able to scale and adapt to business demands, but you also want to be able to have that ability to, to be able to shift based on threats too. And so that involvement creates seamless access to the technologies and frictionless acquisitions and move to pay for what we use. Yeah, I want to continue to kind of emphasize and double click on that, uh, because speaking with you recently, you described how you're sort of of the mindset of moving away from, quote unquote, butts in seats to this managed as a service approach to consume things as you need it. So tell me more about that shift from like the, the, the butts in seats license focused approach to, you know, really consuming things in the, you know, as people might call it, the, the cup of coffee model, rather than buying the entire, uh, you know, kit and caboodle. Yeah, so uh, to me, it's extremely important to use anything as a service 
But there is a point in where you have to have a handoff from that what is delivered as a service to a managed service. But optimally, you want to maximize what is in the cloud uh, and what's being provided natively. The more you do that, the less touching that we have to do uh, from a government perspective. We rely on that CSP to be able to manage, you know, so, so, you know, when you take about, you know, infrastructure or platform as a service, that requires more ticking and tying of us to be able to do things. So we want to move up the stack, function as a service, as an example, infrastructure code as a service. Those things help minimize the things that we need to be focused on, on managing and modernizing. At the same time of having people sit there and touch things, do things, being able to make those managed service uh, capabilities built on top of that to so managing what is necessary to support, but minimizing the movement of, of things that need to occur. So it's very important to shift and leverage the cloud modernization, uh, uh, cloud uh, as a service uh, model, and, and be able to modernize continuously. And I believe that's a, important for how we need to move forward. If you look at how technology has evolved, it is getting much more sophisticated, a lot harder to integrate, a lot more tools involved. And so we need to be able to use those uh, cloud service providers and those partners that also be able to use those as a service and provide those services for us. And let us focus on, as a government, be able to focus on those unique services that are citizen services that aren't out there commercially available. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, Alan, as we close out here, I think uh, it, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about AI. It's It seems like it's the the, the topic on the tip of everyone's tongue uh, this summer and uh, I guess moving forward. So um, how does this foundation in, in the cloud, this multi-cloud setup that you've described today help uh, set you up for success with the next generation tech like AI and whatever may come next? Well, uh, again, so using that key term of as a service, uh, artificial intelligence as a service is, is extremely important. Uh, because you can't necessarily build uh, all the, the components uh, traditionally of what you need for artificial intelligence support. Uh, and particularly the back end, that machine learning, what that engine is for that artificial intelligence to do what it does. Uh, but um, it's important from a cost-effective way to look at how we're delivering these, uh, uh, these uh, artificial intelligence capability and be able to use it very smartly. Uh, and, and what I mean by that, uh, artificial intelligence is extremely powerful. Uh, it, 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 it's so powerful, it, it can create unforced mistakes. And we don't want those unforced errors uh, to occur. And so we want to be very deliberate. And as we move up and use artificial intelligence and bring it into our environment, that we're being very smart about it and making sure that we evolve it in such a fashion that it doesn't create an unforced error for us. Uh, and But at the same time, we're able to move and adopt artificial intelligence by using a AI as a service model uh, to get the latest, latest in capabilities at a much rapid pace by buying the components and using people to deliver it. 
Well, Alan, it sounds like uh, you're Mr. Everything as a service. So we, we, lo we look forward to seeing uh, what comes next in that model for you. But it sounds like you've had a great year in uh, your new role at uh, not no longer a new role, but uh, your role as CIO at FCC. So thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for all the insights. Always a pleasure to chat with you. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much and, and look forward to future discussions. You can learn more about the FCC's IT priorities at thedailyscooppodcast.com. And now for this next segment, I'll pass it over to my colleague Wyatt Cash for an interview with our sponsoring partner, Cloudera Government Solutions. The adoption of artificial intelligence and its potential impact on government agencies is stirring lots of debate across the federal government. One of the critical questions at the center of that debate is the quality of the data being used in AI and how much to ensure that data can be trusted. Um, I'm Wyatt Cash with Scoop News Group. And here to talk about AI's challenges and opportunities is Rob Carey, president of Cloudera Government Solutions Incorporated. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Wyatt. Appreciate it. So the concept of AI can be both exciting and daunting. From your experience, how ready is the workforce in government to embrace this transformative tool? Uh, great question, uh, Wyatt. So, uh, you know, I have to say that the, the component of the IT workforce that is involved in data today has likely been tracking this technology, this very powerful technology that is, uh, I, I think I've said this in the past, this isn't a Sela train. It is moving very, very fast. So there are people that are very, very knowledgeable, very skilled with it, but that's not the uh, overwhelming uh, majority of the workforce. So uh, I, I think that the, the, the large component of the workforce is still, uh, they've heard the term, uh, they've seen some examples. They may have played with some of the language learning models like ChatGPT, but overall, like I don't think the understanding of what does it take to make it go is that embedded in their in their heads. And and so there's a there's a lot of uh, anxiety out there because there's some fear that uh, this technology might in fact uh, take away jobs. Um, and I would say I don't think that's the case right off, right off the bat. Matter of fact, I, I think what it's going to do is shift jobs, uh, which I think is uh, a good thing. Um, there's a lot of uh, learning that has to go on and preparation to, to take advantage of this technology. And, and so the workforce that is doing similar roles today or managing and operating programs today have to be able to understand what is their role. Is, does it change? Does it not change? Um, and, and, and then what, what does AI do for me? What, what's the problem set that I want to tackle with this technology? And then what is a good outcome and how do I learn all those facets so that I can be more effective at, at advancing my agency's mission? Um, I think leadership understands and here's the terms, you know, that, so think of the agency leadership uh, at the top. So I think there is a, a demand signal for knowledge in this space. And then obviously, what does it take to put it to use? So, so I think that the workforce at the center of this really has to pivot a little bit into this. This is a technology we, we were talking before about cloud and we've talked about cyber, but the, the term AI has really grabbed the attention of certainly the, the federal government's IT workforce. How do I use it? What do I do with it? 
Uh, how hard is it to use? Is it going to save me money? Is What's it going to do to my job? I mean, we have to get on top of this. So I think this is a, a knowledge opportunity for the workforce to get on top of the horse and begin to ride it and then over time implement it. Well, and I know you'd agree. Um, we've been talking about the importance of data. I'm going to say that again because there was a bump there. Well, I think you would agree. Um, you know, we've been talking for quite some time about the importance importance of data in federal government, uh, particularly with a federal data strategy. Uh, but one of the questions now becomes, what does it take to enable the current data landscape to support the analytical outcomes that AI promises? Well, again, uh, to, to implement this, to you know, this is not like uh, any other technology where you can just sort of go, go buy it and install it and use it, right? So, so there's a, 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 a term, and you've said it, you know, data, data, data. This is all about the hey, data. Hey, Rob, the data. Rob, let me interrupt you for a second. Um, there, uh, something's rubbing against your microphone, I think, or something. Can uh, I'll just ask you to start the question over because we got a lot of sound that I don't think we can edit out. So um, oh, sure, sure. if, if you okay. could just pick it up from that question again and start from there, I'd appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, no worries. So, so we've said this before, this is data, data, data. This is all about the uh, data lifecycle from ingest to analytics. And so AI demands that uh, you know where it is. AI demands that you have a problem that's pretty well defined. Therefore, the data that supports that problem is understood and, and, and we know where it is and we know its formats, things like that. So, so at the end of the day, this is something that uh, enabling that uh, data to be ingested, to be put into a, uh, a data lifecycle management tool that will serve it up, put it into you know, a vector database to run algorithms on it, to produce results out the other side that are repeatable and, and are meeting expectations in that, it is, it is being successful, right? So th this is uh, really taking what we do today with uh, uh, machine learning and, and current uh, AI algorithms, and now we're into generative AI that helps you predict things uh, better, faster, cheaper with near language, near plain language questions, right? So, so this is all about well, what data is the language learning model using to produce a result in support of the mission of that organization. So this is really a, a, a uh, it's, not a, it's not a step back, that's not the right way, right way to say it, but this is really about understanding that entire data life cycle and getting your arms around it. So, so now your data team and your analytics team really have, have to do a lot of homework to make this beneficial to that organization, right? And so at the end of the day too, once you do that, you know, you really have a, a path ahead that can uh, be optimized within, say, a function. Maybe it's cybersecurity, maybe it's financial services, maybe it's supply chain optimization, but you have to pick a problem area set and then you can hone in on what can this thing do within that space. You cannot use a language learning model tuned for one problem for another problem without actually retuning it, if you will. So. Uh, again, it, it, this is all about the data. And, and so if the data is secure and it's trusted and is organized and aligned and optimized, served up in, in like a data lake house, then we're in a good spot to enable AI to bring about the results that agency leaders are looking for.
And then next, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on what aspects or maybe use cases would you say deserve uh, an agency's initial attention around AI? So should agencies, for example, focus on cybersecurity or fraud detection or financial analysis or supply chain validation? As a former CIO in government, how, how might you prioritize the use cases of AI? You know why this is almost—I uh, don't want to say it's limitless—but but the the opportunities there are there are few that that you couldn't use AI for. So so think healthcare, think uh, uh, detection of uh, cancerous tumors in tissues. Uh, maybe it's breast cancer, maybe it's lung cancer. To use AI for that, and then to produce you know the the results on the doctor's orders to the, to the um, patient using a language learning model, chat DPT, things like that. Um, public safety and law enforcement, you know, you could use it for obviously education. You could use it for cybersecurity, uh, financial services. Um, there's just, it, it doesn't really have a boundary. That's what makes this so powerful. So it's up for the agencies, I think, to decide where do I want to apply this? Could be just straight financial management. It could be fraud detection, right? Where, you know, I want to understand my government credit card uh, uh, program inside Agency X, how can I run that more efficiently and effectively? And, and does this let the staff I have move on to more complex tasks and let the engine, the AI engine, perform more mundane uh, tasks and give me recommendations that I can trust, but now I hand over the most difficult problems to the humans in the loop so that they can focus on those things that require uh, thought that is maybe above and beyond what the language learning models are giving you through AI. So I think it's it's really um, wide open, uh, Wyatt. And I think that AI is bringing about for government uh probably a bigger change than was cloud. Cloud was a mechanism. It's a very cool technology, but, but, you know, cloud is something that doesn't actually execute. It is a means to an end to be efficient and effective at what you're doing. This is that end, right? This is the, the opportunity to make mission better, uh, make uh, outcomes that are better in performance and hopefully cheaper to derive at the same time can use cloud computing. It doesn't have to use cloud computing. Today, most of it does sit in the cloud, but it, uh, it is an opportunity that the government will have to take advantage of uh, if it is to remain um, as efficient, as effective as it can be going into the next few years. And then lastly, Rob, um, you know, a lot of agencies are uh, piloting things and trying to think about where to implement AI. Uh, what actionable steps would you recommend that agencies might take to pave the way for successful AI integration? And, are, you know, are there some best practices that can guide this transformation? And, and there are, and, and we just talked about one is really define your goals and objectives. Th this is, we, we, we make this sound like it's fairly simple, but it's not, right? You have to bound the problem. If you attack the problem broadly, you won't get answers that maybe you were really expecting. So there is a discrete problem that you want to solve and you want to go pilot something before you implement and make it a production model. The team needs to be educated and the leadership team needs to be educated so that we are managing expectations from the beginning of the adventure to this thing's running and we love it, right? 
Um, we have to collect and prepare the data, as we talked about before. You know, you have to know where your data is. You have to be able to move it into a, a, a data lake house, for example, and then you can begin to serve it up and let these algorithms do their thing. So these are all steps that you have to understand uh, as you jump into this lake, if you will. Um, you know, you have to select the, the right AI approach, if you will. It, you know, how there are models that are relevant for certain data sets. There are other ones for other data sets. So you, this, this is both that opportunity, but you are walking into that candy store and you can look around and say, all of this is good. Which candy do I really want today? And we'll, we'll actually scratch the itch in my tummy here. Um, building the models, uh, training and validating the models is another really important step. Um, and then you got to implement this thing and, and test it out. You have to decide, you know, you have to, you have to evaluate these things and make sure that they are performing as you imagine, right? And then integrate this into the systems that you have. And you're always going to learn from this. These are, these are learning engines that will continue to learn and optimize. And you have to be able to manage that process from start to finish. So, you know, there are, I don't know, uh, probably dozens right now of, uh, language learning models on the market today that, you know, we, we all have heard about ChatGPT, but there's quite a few more, BERT and T5, uh, XLN, Net, Electra, there's things like that. So there are plenty that are out there to pick from, and then you can build your own, right? So so that's where a lot of organizations are, are trying to figure out uh, what exactly do I want, given the problem set that I have. So I, I think the, the opportunity is sort of boundless here. Um, Wyatt, I think that uh, this is going to become the thing for the foreseeable future. And as time goes by, we will, we and the government will get much, much better at implementing these things quicker and easier to deliver, again, mission in front of agency um, priorities. Well, and I think I'd add, too, that this is so much more than an IT uh, discussion, but really a, 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 an operational and, and mission discussion for uh, program owners and managers in federal agencies as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, not only quickly this moves, but how it really unfolds and impacts both agencies internally and the public at large. Uh, so, well, Rob Carey, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate your insights and really uh, thank you for joining us uh, today for uh, the Daily School podcast. Thanks for having me, Wyatt. Appreciate it. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back again next week with brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.